Ooh, old school today, King. Oh my goodness. Yes, old, old, old school today, King. Well done. Well done. How you doing, girl? Oh, I'm super. Did a lot of research for this show, so I'm really excited. Yes, this is going to be a great show. I'm super excited, too. I'm really digging more of the theme of how the brain works, uh, the information about how we as people can improve ourselves or understand our state. And we had David Dunning and understanding you know, that we're not as good as we like to think of how to improve on that. So this whole, I'm really digging this theme. We're going to have lots more of this, this idea of how the brain works, how the, the context, let's go with this, right? The context of our lives and how do we influence that context to improve and be successful salespeople or successful whatever else we do. If we don't understand the context of our world, then we're just, you know, we're floundering. We're not going to be able to get better. So I'm excited about this. Art Martin. So, all right, Keith, what do we got? Um, we're going to jump in pretty quick here. But uh, for those of you who don't know, welcome to The Word. I'm Jim Keenan, or as people like to call me Keenan, as I prefer to be called, actually, because Jim is boring. Uh, and we got Kiki or Kira Moore. Uh, the Word is all about sales, sales motivation, success, um, psychology. We're here to give you unadulterated freestyle and information on how to sell better, how to get more out of life and have a badass time without boring your ass off. Right? Yes. Yes, yes. Um, do we have any housekeeping or any house cleaning we need to do? Well, if you aren't able to join us live, you can always catch us on iTunes, search a sales guide. Um, we'll be there. And then, yeah, if you guys have any books that you've read, any psychologists, any schools of thought that you think we should bring to the word, put that in the comments on YouTube or hashtag SalesJodal on Twitter. And if you want to participate in today's show, hashtag SalesJodal on Twitter, we'll pick it up and we'll get your questions answered. Yes, yes, you want to get your questions in. You definitely want to get your questions in. Um, Art is a smart, smart man. So, um, if you can't, if you're not listening now, or you are listening now, and you want to get the rest of the shows, go to pod. We can get a podcast. It's under a sales guide, uh, and jump in on that. And those of you who have been listening, some of you have called me, some of you have tweeted me, and some of you have sent me emails telling me you're really digging the show and it's getting better and better. A fun, super fast, super hyped up way to get smarter in the head to get better. We ready? Yes, we are. You cut out there a little bit, I think, for me at least. So just to reiterate, you want people to put reviews on iTunes, correct? Yes, yes. I've had people call me, tell me they love the show. People tweet me and say they're loving the show. So if you're loving it and you're digging it, I love the appreciation. But don't just tell me. Tell the whole world. Yeah. Tell the whole world. Thank you. All right, why don't you take the pleasure and bring our man Art in. All right, we have the... Uh, intelligent Art Markman. He is a psychology professor at the University of Texas at Austin, and uh, he's been studying this thinking and, and the human brain for 25 years. Um, I know he has a radio show that you can catch. I'll let um, Art plug that, and I'll put it in the showcase over here on the right so you can catch it. And he just joined Bill Nye. So this guy's He's a, one of the top thinkers out there, so you need to tune in and learn how your mind works. And what's his book, Keek? His book? Oh, duh. 
He's got two books. He's got two books. One is what we're mainly going to focus on today, Smart Thinking. Um, and then also he's got a book, Smart Change. So take it away, Art. What do you want us to know? Oh, awesome. This is great to be here. How do you, how do you want to do this? You can ask me anything you want. We'll go from there. All right, well, good. We're going to have some fun with this. Yeah, We're going to have a lot of fun with this. Um, all right, so just to jump right in, smart thinking, right? We all assume that if you're thinking, you're smart. But you're sort of suggesting, by saying smart thinking, is dumb thinking. Tell yeah. us about smart thinking and where you come up with that what it's all about. Yeah, so, you know, the funny thing is, we think about the world right now. You, we, uh, you read the business papers, you read the business magazines, everybody, what's the big word? Innovation. Everybody wants to be innovative, everybody wants to be creative, everybody wants to do things in a brand new way. And then, most of us end up going back to work and doing the same old thing that we did last time. Uh, you know, we, we fall into a set of routines, you know, it's Monday morning, next thing you know it's Friday and you've done the same thing over and over again. You've checked your email too many times, you've, you've called the same people, you've tried, you've tried to do things in the same way. Why does that happen? Why is it that you're not doing anything new? Uh, that's really the essence of smart thinking, is trying to figure out how do you break out of these habits that constrain you and start doing things in a brand new way without holding yourself back. And one of the fundamental problems we have, and we were talking about this in the pre-show there, is that, that we are in a world right now where we set people free to think for a living, and then we teach nobody the way that their minds work. You might, might take one psychology class when you're in college. Chances are you don't. And so you end up in the workplace being asked to be innovative, being asked to think, and you know nothing about the way your mind works. We wouldn't let you build a bridge without learning physics. We wouldn't let you make shampoo without learning, without learning some chemistry. We would not let you practice medicine without learning biology. We don't want people going into business if they know nothing about money. But then, uh, we ask people to think. We don't. They don't know how the mind works, and as a result, they don't know how to tune that mind up. You know, I, if my car breaks down. I can't fix it. I know nothing about it. I got to call somebody else who's going to help me. So I can't make my car better because I don't know anything about it. How are you going to make your mind more efficient? How are you going to think more effectively if you don't know a thing about the way your mind works? Okay, so all right. So a lot came out of that, and I dig this. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna take it from a layman's perspective, and I'm gonna try to yeah. steer us in a couple directions. The sure. first one is, uh, my feeling is I'm with you on that, but I want you to take a second to draw the line between culture, right, saying I want innovation, and then creating a culture that doesn't allow it, even if I am thinking smart, right, not yeah. willing to let you take a risk, not willing to let you fail, right. So a lot of people, when they hear what you just said, they're going to lean on that side, right. Sure. So I want to take that off the table. In addition, when the people hear the word like habit, they're going to think as you talk about the physical habit, right. But you're talking a different habit. You're talking about a thinking habit. So let's to help create that differentiation. Let's move away from what we're traditionally going to think about what you just said and go to the other side. Talk yeah. us to more about that other side. Yeah, sure. So I think you're absolutely right. You know, we could do a whole show on the corporate culture that that that, that keeps you from innovating. We're going to put that away. Um, there are lots of habits we have, like you know, I, I play the saxophone in my copious spare time. I got lots of habits associated with how to move my fingers on a saxophone. We're not talking about that either, but we have lots of we have lots of habits that are some which are some of which are good, many of which are bad that get in the way of thinking. So, for example, one of the things that we end up doing a lot is multitasking, right? We 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 sit down in the workplace, we want to think clearly and carefully, and then every three minutes we check our email, 
You know, every time a new email comes in, we're checking it. We've got our little uh, little tech little uh, instant message window down on the on the bottom of the screen. We're checking that all the time. We got text coming in on the phone. We're checking that all the time. We got our Twitter feed going. We're checking that. The problem with multitasking is one habit is that every time that you move yourself away from the task you're trying to do right now, if you're trying to think through something, you lose your place, and uh, all of that information that's stored in what's called working memory, which is the amount of information you can hold in your mind at any given time, every time that you switch away and check your email or do something else, you pull everything out of working memory and shove in all the stuff that has to do with the email you're checking or the text you're looking at. And now when you go back to what you were doing before, you have to put all of that information back in again. And, and, and that happens really inefficiently. So we get in our own way. Uh, with the kinds of habits that we have. And along the way, when we talk about some of the kinds of, of knowledge that people need to be smart thinkers, uh, because one of the things we're going to talk about is that if you want to be smart, you actually have to know the way things work in your world. You have to be able to answer the question why, which gives you oh. access to what we call causal knowledge. And if you can't an answer the question why, then, then you can't do anything new. That's fundamentally oh, that kind of knowledge I love this. is critical. Now here's the problem. This. And let's before we talk about the importance of the causal knowledge, let's talk about the question why for a second, because it's a great example of bad habits. So but hold you, on, let's before we do that, let's before we do that, I, I, there's something I want to get on the table because it's going to lead to the why. So write down why or Kiki, make sure we get to the why. You talk in the very beginning about your book, which is freaking awesome. You say that smart thinking does not equate to intelligence. Right. Right? And so I take a second to tell the termites, uh, termite story and and how that plays. I mean, this is because I want people to understand, because your book really breaks down some preconceived notions, right? I have three little kids, and all I hear about is smart people and the high IQ and the smart ones are gonna do this and the dumb ones can't do this. We're gonna have, you know, if you're not smart, you can't get your shit together. And I don't think I'm very smart. I've never taken an IQ test. But I ask that question why all the time, and I think it served me well without necessarily having that level of IQ. So talk about the termite test, and I, I forget his name, I'm so sorry, but talk about the termite test. Sure, sure. So, so basically, right, let's, let's take a step back. When people hear the concept smart, one of the first things they do is they start thinking, oh, so i got to take an IQ test. i got to find out how smart I am, what my potential is. Well, it turns out that, that those tests, IQ tests, SATs, GREs, GMATs, all of those tests, they predict about 10% of the difference in performance between people, uh, which means that 90% That's not very much. Not much. 90% of that difference, 90% of that has to do with, with other factors altogether. And all of us know people who score really well in those tests and have never amounted to anything in life. So it's not the tests. And one of the great examples that you're bringing up is I talk in the book about Louis Terman, who was uh, one of the early... Uh, intelligence testing people and he actually believed that intelligence tests determined people's life outcomes so he was out in, in the Bay Area in Palo Alto uh, at Stanford and he and he tested tons of kids uh, on gave them IQ tests and then and then took the kids who scored the highest on that test and and he followed them for their for years years and years I mean you know 40 years to try to understand how they succeeded in life because of their high IQ and he called them the termites because he was he was termin they were the termites and and it turns out that you know some of them did pretty well some of them didn't do so well 
of all the people he tested, of all the people he tested, one guy actually won a Nobel Prize. But he wasn't actually one of the termites. He hadn't scored high enough to be in the group uh, that he followed. He was just another guy who happened to take the test and didn't score high enough to be included in the rest of the study. And he, he won the Nobel Prize for, for essentially the work that he did to help develop the transistor. So it turned out to be kind of an important invention. So he wasn't smart by the traditional right. terms, particularly back then if you go back that far. I think that was in the That's 40s right. or 50s. Pretty yeah. Easy, right? so, yeah. so he wasn't smart. So I, I really wanted to drive this point home to people listening because I want to break some of our, I have this probably loosely choice, but habits or our um, uh, the, the things that, my, thank you, our mindsets. I want to break that. So that then leads to what I really like is this idea of it's not how smart you are, but the knowledge you have and right. the knowledge and how to use it. Talk about that. Yeah. So if you look at people who do smart things, um, first of all, nobody does anything smart if they don't know anything, right? You, unless you're just... <laughs> Just it, dumb luck sometimes, right? Every once in a while somebody stumbles on something, but the people who really know stuff, they, they're the ones who do smart things. I mean, why are people listening to your show, right? It's, it's, it partly, you know, it's partly its charm and personality, but mostly it's you know stuff that they need to know, right? And, and, and we, we, we understand implicitly that, that knowledge matters a lot. I mean, why is it that really, really smart, meaning people who test really well on IQ tests. Why don't we take people who score really well on IQ tests and, and take 21-year-olds who score really well because they're really energetic and make them the heads of companies? You'd be like, what? Why would you, you'd never do that because they don't know anything. You, you yes. actually know stuff in order to be able to do something interesting. So, so it's all about knowledge, and we're going to talk again. We're going to get back to the question why because that's the kind of knowledge you need. It's all about the knowledge you have, and then being able to apply that knowledge in the times that you need it, which many times it's it's obvious what knowledge you're supposed to use. Uh, but but the really innovative thinking that people do involves having them draw knowledge from one area of expertise to another area where it wasn't obvious that it was going to apply, and suddenly they make this breakthrough by realizing, I can take this thing I know from one place and plop it down in another place, and it gives me a completely different way of thinking about it. And we see this, we see this in business, we see this in invention, you even see it in art. Right? Think about Picasso, for example. What it, part of what made Picasso an, an amazing artist was he would, he would study African art, and then he'd say, what if I took European art traditions and plopped African traditions right down on top of that? Or then he got together with Brock, and he said, what if we tried to put several different views of the same image into the same picture? What would that look like? And then they got cubism, right? So he was saying, what if I took knowledge from one area, plopped it down into another, and just and just to see what would happen. And, and you know, in invention, you get the same thing. I start the book out by talking about James Dyson in the vacuum, right? Great James, story. Lots of people, you know, lots of people noticed that, that the, when the bag in the vacuum cleaner fills up, bag, the vacuum doesn't work so well anymore because the, the, the pores in the bag clog up, and, and now you, you, that doesn't suck, suck so well. Uh, and I used to clean an office. Well, it sucks is what happens. So I, I, uh, I used to clean an office building. Right, and and when I was at, when I was in high school, that was my, my my job, my first job, cleaning an office building. My dad wanted me wanted, wanted me to understand that there's always money sticking your hands in somebody else's toilets, and uh, and so uh, 
but he not a lot of money, but there is money, and uh, and so uh, I, I had to vacuum a lot, and and so I would take this big industrial vacuum and dump the bag out and get covered in dust, and it was awful, right? And but I the way I solved the bag problem was just emptying the bag out, and Dyson looked at it and he said, well, you know what is what is the essence of a vacuum? The essence of a vacuum is it takes in a combination of dirt and air, separates the dirt from the air. The bag does that by, by, as a filter, right? The air comes in, it escapes through the pores in the bag. The pores don't let the dirt out, and so they stay behind. But what he did was he was a guy who knew a lot about a lot of things, and one of the things he knew about was sawmills. And if you look at what sawmills do, they generate tremendous amounts of sawdust when, they're, when, you're, when you're milling boards down, and they suck that sawdust out of the air basically with a gigantic vacuum cleaner. But most sawmills don't have gigantic vacuum cleaner bags. What they have is this thing called an industrial cyclone, big cone-shaped device. The air comes in, it creates a cyclone, and the, the, the sawdust gets thrown to the side of, the, of this cone uh, by centrifugal force. They, it plops down into a hopper. They truck it away. Um, he, he basically decided, let's build an industrial cyclone inside a vacuum cleaner. And so here I was, right, about the same time he was working, late 70s, in my, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and I solved the bag problem week in, week out, made $125 a month, which I was really happy with. He comes up with this idea to use an industrial cyclone, gets rid of the bag altogether, okay? He's making hundreds of millions of dollars. Who's the smart guy, right? And it's because he knew stuff that I didn't. Yes, that's it right there. He knew stuff you didn't, which then, which I love the story, and you tell it really, really well in the book. So then that brings us to this idea of causal knowledge, right. not carnal, not carnal people. <laughs> which is also but, good, but but in a different yeah, way. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we all like to get busy. We all like coitus. Yes, <laughs> but we're going to talk about causal knowledge right now. <laughs> all right. All right, well, so what's that? <laughs> all right. So... You turned red, my man. Look at he's turning red. It's working. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just the energy here. I got It's just the color balance. That's all. So, because uh, uh, I'm wearing a blue shirt. It's anyhow. So, um, so, so causal knowledge, right? Um, we need to understand the way the world works, and and the way and the way that you know you're focusing on the way the world works is that you answer the question why. And human beings may be the only species on the planet that routinely asks and answers the question why. So you look at chimpanzees, for example, they use tools and things like that, but they don't teach each other stuff, and they don't ever seem to ask why. So that so you know, chimpanzees, you'll have a whole colony of them who, you know, bang rocks on top of nuts to open the nuts up. Um, at no point does any chimp ever seem to ask, why is this other chimp doing this? Why why am I doing this? Because if they did they would find another way to do it, right? They'd say, oh, I get it. Yes. I'm trying to create pressure. That would open the nut. Maybe I could create pressure in a different way that was more accurate. And then after a while, you'd have like 30 different ways of opening nuts. And then you'd have to like open stores like Bed Bath & Beyond to sell them, right? <laughs> so chimps don't have Bed Bath & Beyond because they can't ask why. But we, we're constantly asking... <laughs> That's the quote of the day. Chimps don't have Bed Bath & Beyond because they don't ask why. There you go. But, but we do, we from birth, right? You got little kids. How old are your kids? Uh, Ten, eight, and five. Five. Okay, so the five-year-old, probably, that's all that your five-year-old does is ask why, right? Oh, constantly. Yeah. Constantly, yeah. 
you know, and then you answer, and then they ask again, and then you answer, and they ask again. I mean, that's that's the reflection that we we just want to know how the world works. We want to we we deeply want to understand that, and so um, so we're, we're and the reason we want to understand that is because if in the absence of knowing knowing why things work the way that we do that they do, all we can do is to execute a procedure. Right, so so I used to see, you know, well think about this, right? Your computer starts to freeze up. What do you do? You restart it. Why? I don't know because it might work. <laughs> you know, yep. 40, 30 years ago, I'd be sitting on the couch with my grandfather, and you know, the old TV screens and the the picture would start like going fuzzy, and he'd get up and he'd whack the TV on the side. I'd be like, Grandpa, why did you do that? He'd be like, I don't know. It might work. You know, that's when when you don't understand how things work, all you can do is execute a procedure. Think about sales, right? When you first start selling and you don't understand why people buy, you execute the script. Yes. You know, they told okay. me to ask these four questions and so I'm asking these questions and then I don't know what to do with them after that if, if somebody throws me a curveball. Yes. So right? I call that yes, you nailed it. I call that context. Right. Yeah. So, so a lot of people, you know, ask me a lot of questions. So, how do you know this? Or how do you know that? Or how do you get here? And I usually can't say I'm not sure. I just needed to understand the context. So, I guess that's my way of asking why without asking why. It's like, why does this work? What, what happens when you hit the TV? Why does the TV go bl blur? So, to right. your point, so I'm just not executing a procedure, but I'm trying to understand the context of all the physical yeah. things that I'm seeing happening. Right. So, is that so is that what you're talking about? So, people need to yeah. grasp the context. Yeah, you're trying to you're trying to understand the context in which it's happening. You're trying to understand the thought process somebody's going through when they're buying. You're trying to understand how you can. I mean, what is you know a great salesperson? You know, you know this, right? Great salespeople don't match people up with things they don't want. The great salespeople yes. figure out exactly what somebody wants and then matches it to them, so that in the end you develop a relationship where you're never really selling to them again. All you're doing is helping them to see what they want. And, and continuing to match that to them for the rest of their lives. That's that's. And in order to do that, you have to ask why. Yeah. Why do you want it? Why do you want it? Why? What? What drives you? What? What? You know? What drives those motivations? What? What are you trying to? You know? How? Why are you trying to accomplish things the way that you are? Right. The the great salespeople will tell you when you're asking the wrong question. You know, somebody comes in, they say, "I want this." You're like, "Really? Why? You know what? You know, what are you yes. trying to accomplish? That that's the thing that you want." And then, you know, because I could sell you the best of these things that you want, but I don't think that's what you want. I got to understand why you're doing this. Then I take you in a different direction. So I can't do that if I don't understand why. Okay. And, and, and so, but, but what happens is that that five year old probably asks why a lot more often than your 10 year old does. Okay. Yes. And, and your 10 year old. Is is asking why more often now than than what'll happen you know when your ten year old's fifteen or twenty we beat we beat why out of people okay in our <laughs> education system right so notice that five year old hasn't been to school yet really I mean maybe maybe kindergarten but that kindergarten's play right you know what what, what we we lose that ability to really dig into why the further on we go in school to our detriment right because because the yes. less we really understand because and the reason for that is because we test in the wrong way so so if you look at what happens in schools okay you know, we were talking about getting good grades the way you get good grades in school is two things you learn you learn how to parrot back 
the responses that the, that the teacher wants, and you never make mistakes. And it turns out smart thinking involves two things that don't match up to that at all. First, it involves not parroting back what's been said before, but trying to figure out how to address a question in a new way. And honestly, you address a question in a new way in sixth grade, and you get an F. Okay? Mm -hmm. and, and, yeah. and the other thing is, you know, to do something really new means not to parrot back the answer somebody else already wants to give you. It's to find a new answer. And think about your education. How many times, even through college, were you ever asked to answer a question where you were pretty sure that the person who asked that question didn't already know the answer? Right? Yes. Your teachers yes. give you tests where you know that they know the answer and you're trying to give them the answer they want. And there's rare, it's only rare occasions, even at the college level, where you are asked to do something that goes beyond what the instructor knows about. Mm -hmm. you know, well, you know what's interesting about that? What's really interesting, yeah. as a professor, you, you could probably speak this to more than I am. So I'm 47 years old, right? So uh, my, my schooling came up through the 70s, 80s, 70s, 80s. I didn't finish college. I had three credit hours. So I went back to school when I was 42. And I had to couple, take a couple classes on Chinese history. I won't bore everybody with that. But um, as I was going through the class, I had to write a paper. I had to do it twice, in it. and it really illustrated something. So it seems to me what you're describing is changing a little. So they made me read this book on Chinese history and, and, and capitalism in China and do a 25-page paper. So using my old experience of writing papers, I read the book, and I basically wrote a 25-page paper on what I read, right? And I only got a B. I only got a B, and I thought I did a pretty good job. And I asked him why I only got a B. He said, because, Jim, you just wrote a paper on what you read. You didn't tell me if it would work. You didn't tell me why you agree. Like, so it seems what you're describing is they're trying to move that direction. But my my schooling was so entrenched in that yeah. old school that it didn't even occur to me to think that I could have actually offered an opinion. Because to your point, I would have thought I would have got an F. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So is, no, is that sort of what really, you're talking about? We we definitely want to try to change that. I think you know that, that, that there's there's definitely a movement towards that. But we still you know it gets it gets hard to grade things where what you're trying to do is because we care about grades for reasons I don't understand. I don't care about grades. I hate grades. But but whenever you got to put people on a scale and give them a grade that that where they where you can defend that grade so that people don't, you know, start appealing that this was unfair in some way. Well, then then there needs to be some objective criterion. And a lot of the stuff that, that, that really smart thinking about is a lot more subjective than that. It's really, you know, did you, did you give a thoughtful opinion? Did you really demonstrate not just that you understood what happened, but why it happened? And how you yes. might use that why to do something different, right? That's the... That's the really hard thing to test for, and so we 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 have a, even you know even those of us who know this is what we want to teach, it's a struggle to figure out how to take that and put it into the structure of the kinds of classes we teach. And as a result, you have 17 years worth of habits. You get through college, you're you've gone to school K to 16. That's 17 years of education. You get out of school, you have 17 years worth of habits that are largely involved in repeating back what you've heard before and now we send you into the workplace and in the workplace they say we hired you to do something new we hired you to solve problems 
And you yes. sit there and you think, wait a second, I don't, I, I was never taught to solve problems. I was taught to to to, to give test answers. So what we so then this is yeah. So then this is is perpetuated yeah by what you call by what you call path dependence, correct? Yes. Yeah. 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 So talk about path dependence. So the thing about path dependence is we everything we do is is a reflection of of the path that we've been on. Right, so so we have built up a set of structures for thinking. We've built up, um, not you know, the, the knowledge that we've created is often really surface level knowledge. We've built up procedures for doing things. We haven't built up this store of knowledge, of causal knowledge. We stop asking why. Right at five we ask why. At ten we ask it less. At fifteen we ask it even less. And so we have these gaps in our knowledge. We, we don't necessarily understand the way things work. You know, watch the debates, man. Watch the political debates. You know, as soon as, I mean, how many, how many of the people standing up there appear to understand why things work? Right? Very few. Well, Very that scares few. me because we have, we have real problems that need to be solved in new ways. And there's absolutely no way we are ever going to solve those problems unless people dig down and understand why. And don't believe for a moment that some politician who doesn't know a thing is going to be able to solve the problems better because they won't. You've got to understand why things work the way they do. And we, we, have, we, have, you know, we, we have taken we have taken all the important jobs away from people who really are willing to think about stuff. You know, it is, it, you, you can't do smart things by winging it. It just doesn't happen. You can get lucky sometimes, but it's not repeatable unless you understand why the world works the way it does. And, and, and that's a lot of work. That's the thing. We want an easier way. You know, I tell people, I teach courses in cognitive psychology, and people come into my class and I tell them, look, one of the things I'm going to teach you in this class is that everything you ever feared about learning is true. It's hard work, and you've got to mm -hmm. do it often and early and you got to think deeply about it. You can't just put the book under the pillow and have the knowledge, you know, come into your head. You can't just listen to a TED talk and suddenly be an expert on things. You've got to think about stuff. You got to ask why, you got to engage in conversations. And this gets to this habit I was going to talk about earlier, which is we have lost the ability to use the question why in corporate America because we're too darn nice to each other. Seriously, we don't like to disagree with each other openly in business meetings. So, you know, because if you do that, if you say you're wrong in a business meeting, you're a jerk. So you don't do that. What do you do instead? You lean back in your chair and you go, well, why are we going to do that? And what you really mean when you say, why are we going to do that, is I disagree with you, so I'm going to make you say why, and then I'm going to argue with your reasons. And so the question why in corporate America has become an aggressive question because you know when somebody asks why, they're about to try to launch a tirade at you. And so, so do you we, we need to reclaim the question why. We need to go back because, because until you ask why, you may not have the knowledge. One of the things we talk about, I talk about in the book is, is this idea, the illusion of explanatory depth. We believe we understand the way the world works better than we actually understand the way the world works. We have that's the Dunning-Kruger effect right there, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the Dunning-Kruger effect of the mind, correct? It's like it, yeah. It's, it's, a very, it's, it's one of the sources of the Dunning-Kruger effect. 
is that you don't you don't even know you believe that you're better at the at things that you are and the reason is because there's two reasons for the illusion of explanatory depth one uh, is that our our explanations are kind of nested inside each other like those little Russian dolls and that's yes. that's why and that's why your five-year-old can keep asking why your five-year-old can't keep asking what you know imagine you hold up here we got I got props okay here's this I got you know so I'm holding this thing your five-year-old says what's that you say it's a slinky and then they go what's that you'd say it's a slinky after the, then they go what's that you're like what's wrong with you it's a slinky but 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 if you say um, why? Every time you ask why, there's always another expla explanation underneath that. So your your five-year-old can say why? Why do we you know go to the bathroom? And then and then you give an explanation. And then they go well why? And then you can there's another explanation you got to give. And after about five minutes, you're like I don't know anymore. I stop asking me why. Like, I don't know. It's like two Marys. It's like two Marys uh, opposed to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it keeps to keep going and going. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And so yes. and so when we so when we think to ourselves, do I really understand this? What we really end up doing is saying, Can I get the explanation started without really digging in to see how much of it you know? So that's one problem. Then the other problem we have is that we have lots of words whose meanings we do not understand. We're coming back. Wait, all right, we lost you. Oh can oh, you hear yeah. me now? So yes, so we asked okay. the question why yeah. to get and, things started. To get things yeah. started. Yeah. So, so we got to ask why, because because the the thing about it is, until you ask why and give explanations, you will not be able to recognize when there is when when you're suffering from this illusion of explanatory depth. It turns out why is the antidote to the illusion of explanatory depth, because every once in a while you ask why, and and then you're going to go, holy cow, I don't know. I okay, so let me challenge you here a little. Yeah. Let me challenge you here a little, right? Not in your premise per yeah. se, but not not in your theorem, but in your premise of asking why. What okay. if people actually do ask why, but don't answer it? So basically, they go halfway, and then it says, "I don't know," but they don't take it the next step to ask. So therefore, in corporate cultures and in social environments, when I ask you why, you already know you don't know, and therefore you become insecure, defensive, and uncomfortable. Because you you feel exposed. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think that's another. Yeah, I think that's absolutely another problem, and that's a, that's the second piece. You, so so after you after we reclaim why as a question that isn't aggressive, then then there's then there's the flip side of it, which is when I'm asked why, I have to learn three words that are not killers, and those three words are I don't know. Okay, you have to be willing to say. I don't know. I'm going to go look that up. So what we have to do is to change one other element of corporate culture, which is everybody gets one free pass not to know the answer to something. The first time you ask if they don't know, then you say, "Congratulations, we just discovered a gap in your knowledge." But you're going yes. to come back tomorrow or next week and you're going to know and you're going to explain it to us. Because think about the financial yes. collapse. Let's go back to 2007, right? Nobody Nobody understood 
how mortgages were being originated, how they were being packaged into securities, how those were being derived into uh, additional securities with these tranches, how they were taking the lower tranches and creating whole new securities out of them. Nobody understood that process. When you finally got two or three people who figured out it was a house of cards, they created, you know, CDOs and 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 suddenly, you know, took out insurance on something they didn't even own and 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 and, bank and nearly bankrupted uh, companies, right? I mean, so so it, it, it drove the economy into the ground. If so, if more people had asked why, and then answered that question, we might we you know there's still greed involved there, but 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 we <laughs> might have at least had more people saying, you know what, maybe this is a lousy idea. So I like so let's let's transition this into one of my favorite statements in your in your book. It says the brain is not designed to think. That's right. Right, yeah. well, the brain is designed not to think. So, because I, I kind of agree with you, or I feel very strong anecdotally, that people do ask the question why. They ask it all the time in their head, but they just decide, you know, it's too much fucking work. I'm not going to go get the answer. Yeah. Right? I'm just not going to do it. So, so is that what you mean by the brain is not designed to work to think? Or let's talk about this idea of not meant to think. Yeah. So, so here's here's the premise. Your brain, three percent of your body weight. Uh, uh, uses 20 to 25 percent of your daily energy supply. Okay, it's Ooh. a very energy-hungry organ, and so and so. What does that mean for you? Your brain wants to minimize the amount of thinking that you do on any particular task because every time that you spend time on it, you are spending energy on it, and energy is the brain's money. Okay, and just like you want to spend as little as possible to buy something you want to spend as little energy on something as possible in order to get through what you need to do. So your brain is constantly trying to tell you, can't we move on, can't we move on, can't we move on? And, and what you need to do is to resist that tendency. You have to say, you know what, I might be able to get away today with not answering the question why, but that's going to catch up with me eventually. And so, and so eventually I'm going to end up in a worse situation if I don't put this effort in now. So I'm going to have to overcome my brain's tendency to want to just move on and not think and just rely on my habits because, because I'm going to need that knowledge someday. So I am okay, so let me ask you this question. time now in order to be better in the future. Okay, so do you understand, and I would love it if you can answer this question, and if I've gone too far, I apologize. But do you understand the physiological elements behind that? What is the brain doing physiologically to make me feel like I just want to move on, I want to move on? Yeah. So um, what I would say is you're engaging these. So, so you've, got, you've got these brain structures way deep in the brain. Here, look at that. i got a brain. Because <laughs> okay, you asked. So this is, that's the outside of the brain. Okay. This isn't a real brain. Okay. I didn't just, this, this is just the brain. Okay. No, I can see your fingers uh, squeezing into it right now. It's there just, <laughs> you go. Uh, I got I, 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 This is perfect. So deep inside the brain here, okay, we got these structures deep inside the brain. Let's see. There we go. That's These structures deep inside the brain, these are the kinds of brain structures that are really similar to the ones that if you were to look at a rat brain or a mouse brain or a deer brain, and those are dumb animals, man. Those, those, they have these structures. What they're missing, what they're missing is all this stuff on the outside. They don't have a lot, they don't have a big cortex, but they've got all of this stuff deep inside here. Now, that, those circuits in there, those are part of your motivational system. They're the things that drive you to act. 
the more time that you spend on something, the more that you start building up energy inside of that system that drives you to start to move on to something else. And so that frustration you start to feel when, when, you're, when, when you've been working too long at something, that's, you, that's your motivational system saying, basically, uh, I'm spending too much energy right now on this stupid task. Let's go on and do something productive like check an email, right? And, Interesting. Yeah. So, so when I think about that, this, there's, a, there's a really interesting juxtaposition. I really want to go here because I think our listeners can really learn something from this particular piece. So when, I, when you were talking about this idea of moving on in your mind saying, hey, look, keep going. This is too much energy. This is too much energy. I was feeling something different because when I learn something new or I solve a problem, I get energized. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And that keeps me wanting to ask why because I want to create that feeling again. But then on the flip side, as you describe what you just described, I can also require, um, recall times where I can't get it, and I can't get it, and I just it gets I get more frustrated and more frustrated. I want to quit. So yeah. is there is there so you just described the quitting feeling? Is there a real um, dopamine or some type of uh, something that happens in the brain when I get it that makes yeah. me want to do it again? How do those things play against each other? Yeah, that's a great question. So. It turns out that, that, that if you ask what are some of the things that make you feel good, one of the things that makes you feel good is fast thinking. So, so when you're able to think quickly about something, which could be because you're getting it, because you're understanding something, or because you're listening to a talk that's really well constructed, um, or a great when you have a great conversation, it feels good. Um, those, those do feel good because now your brain is saying, oh yeah, let's keep doing this. I seem to be being productive right now. This is time that's well spent. Okay. The, the problem is that a lot of times it is the stuff that absolutely stumps you right now that's the stuff you really need to know, right? So what do you do? You end, you know, a lot of times people end up going back and revisiting the same ground over and over again, learning a little bit more and a little bit more about the stuff they already know a lot about. But, but if you can get yourself to also spend some time on the stuff you know nothing about and begin to build up that framework and begin to build up the breadth of that causal knowledge, that's really helpful for being innovative because the thing about innovation, right, Dyson had to know something about a sawmill. Now, when he learned about the sawmill, he had no idea that that was going to be the basis of a $400 million a year company. But he went out and learned it anyhow, right? Spending that effort to learn things. We, we live in an era right now in which people want to know, how is this going to help me now, right? Yes. And, yes. and, and the thing about being smart, the smart people don't ask that question. They just learn it, file it away, and someday it's going to turn out to be important. Something I tell people all the time, your life story only makes sense when you look back on it. As you mm -hmm. move forward, you have no idea how it's going. You have no idea which pieces of information are going to be important, which people you meet are going to be important, which events are going to turn out to be the watershed moments of your life. When you look back on it, you can pick out a narrative thread that makes sense. In the forward direction, it's all chaos. And what we learn from that for smart thinking is be open to learning all kinds of new things, even things that have no obvious relevance to you today. Because if you, the thing is, if you don't know the information, you'll never know you needed it. 
Yes, so say that again. Say that one more time. If you don't that's a boom, people. There you go. If you don't know the information, you'll never know you needed it, right? So it's, therefore, learn as much as you can. Exactly. As deep as you so, can. Yeah. All right, so, so what's interesting about this is I have said, I've written a blog post on this, that Renaissance men and women make the best salespeople. Now, I, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they might make the best anything, but the idea that they know so much about so many things allows them to pull information or create analogies or connect disparate things that allows them to be more persuasive, allows yeah. them to offer unique solutions. And so is, would you agree? Because, again, most of my shit in my life is anecdotal. As I talked with David that time, I, I just, I, I'm not a scientist. I don't go to school. But I pull stuff together, and I hear you talking. I'm like, oh, hey, that, I got that. So yeah. would you agree that idea of Renaissance people are yeah. truly the best at, what, at doing almost anything because of that broad breadth of knowledge? Yeah, absolutely. I, I've written a couple of blog entries too, and I've written and I call I call those people expert generalists. Okay. They know a lot about a lot, and and every organization needs to have a bunch of them. I think you're right. They're great salespeople. They're also great innovators, because they bring people together. Right. I mean, one of the things you have to do as a salesperson is not just to match people with products, but to match people with people. Right. One of the things you end up doing is somebody's got a problem to solve, and sometimes you say, you know what, you need to talk to that person. You guys need to get together and work on this, and you you'll have a you'll have a great business relationship together if you guys just get together and talk. The only way you know that is because you is because you spent time learning about that. And see, here's the problem: we in the business world we we focus on conscientious people. Right? Who are conscientious people? Conscientious people are the people you can rely on to get stuff done. You give them something to do, they do it. Now here's the problem with conscientious people. Conscientious people evaluate everything that they're doing by whether it's going to help them to get something done that they need to do right now. We need to find more people who aren't so conscientious and, and bring them into our workplaces and say, do your thing. Because they'll... If, if, they, you want people who are thinkers, right? You want them to be people who like to think about stuff, who think ideas are interesting, but aren't necessarily driven always to focus on what needs to be finished right now. Because those people are the ones who end up talking to everybody, reading articles on stuff that aren't completely relevant to what's going on right now. But then in a pinch, when you're trying to solve a problem, they're the one in the back of the room going, wait a second, I think I know something that's going to help us here. Because yes, they know yes. a lot about a lot of stuff. And so they're yeah, I think you're right. Great salespeople, great innovators. You know, Renaissance people is a great way to talk about them. Like I say, I use a different word, expert generalist, but you know, Renaissance Renaissance people. That's a that's a great way to think about. It. I have a question, Art. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, no, no, you go. On a day to day, I think in terms of like a to do list, we all have a million things to do. So when you personally, or or how would you recommend? Um, sorting those tough items that you know need to get done today, you know you need to do them. Do you like start off with those habitual tasks, a couple of them, just to get things going? And how do you sort your day? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And what I would say is, everyone's got to ask themselves, "What's my time of day where I work best?" And then give themselves an opportunity to do the hardest things at the time of day they work best. So if you're a morning person and you get into work revved up to go first thing in the morning, do not spend that first hour checking email. 
which does not require your best time of the day. Use that to do whatever is the hardest thing for you to do at that moment and save the habitual tasks, save the things that need to get done but don't necessarily need your best self. For, you know, for me, it's like right after lunch, you know, that, that, lunch, that post-lunch lull. You know, that's when I'm going to check my email because that doesn't require, you know, the best art that there can be, right? And, and so, you know, I think, I think that's, that's the way you want to you drive those tasks. And, and, and the other thing you want to do is if your company is serious about wanting people to learn stuff, if, you're, if you come in and look at your calendar and every day it's a solid wall of stuff to do, you need to go to your company and say, if you're serious about letting me be innovative and letting me be smart, you got to hire some more people and free up some time in my schedule so that I can actually do the hard work that's going to require be required for me to be smart not just today but a year from now and five years and from now and ten years from now because if, if yeah you load me up with, with with just stuff to do and 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 you're making me stagnate so all right let's talk about that this is a great point and, and this is something I believe very strongly in and I again I talk about it in my book I talk about results versus time right can't so yes, if your company is telling you what to do, right? Do this, do this, do this, and I'm going to measure you on did you do it? I would agree with you. But what if your company is saying, "Look, I need you to grow our marketing presence by this. I need more users here. I need this." And you create those tasks yourself. You're the to blame. Can't you have this innovation within the task process so it says, "Hey, I'm supposed I'm going to use Kiki as an example. I need to get, you know, 100 inbound leads and I need to get Grow our social presence, right? So she can be doing a task as I'm posting to Facebook today, I'm posting to Facebook today, but somewhere along the line, can't she expand her knowledge and say, wait a minute, here's the context of what I'm trying to get done, back to what we were talking about, causal knowledge. How can I do this differently? So can't you combine the idea of tasks with result emphasis? Um, yes and no. So here's the thing. Okay. Focus only on results. The danger with, with for, for innovative thinking and for really doing this. Uh, really doing smart thinking is that that when you're really trying to be innovative about stuff um, for a long time it feels like you're wandering around on things you know it's like this I, I don't this isn't where I tried this it didn't work I tried this it didn't work I was reading about this this wasn't quite the right thing and then all of a sudden you know three months in it's like bang and so and so here's the thing we want our results to grow incrementally right we want we want every quarter to look a little better than the last quarter right <laughs> And, yes. and, and that's great if you're not doing anything too smart. But, but the thing mm -hmm. about smart thinking is it ends up being discontinuous. So you'll see, you know, maybe a little bit of growth, maybe even a little decline, a little bit of growth, and then suddenly, bang, I figured it out, and now I got this huge change, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's the way innovation works. Innovation isn't a continuous process. It's a discontinuous process, and that means that for a while you're going to think to yourself, I'm just spinning my wheels. And so if if you only evaluate yourself, uh, you know, in a way where you say quarter by quarter, am I am I seeing continuous growth? You're going to push yourself back towards, and this is where that reward structure stuff was coming in, where you were talking about earlier, is is you're going to push yourself more towards doing doing what you did last time because you know you yes. can get slow, steady growth. You want to do something really novel, you're going to have to wander in the desert for a little while. You're going to have to feel uncomfortable and think, this isn't working, this isn't working. And then, but, but you got to trust in, in your preparation, right? You know, you got to believe, yes. I've learned 
and I've and I've 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 spent my life preparing by reading things, by talking with people, by by asking that question why, by learning to ask myself questions so that I can pull information out of my memory and trust in that, knowing that if I keep doing that, at some point I'm going to have that breakthrough that I wanted, and I'm going to go from what appears to be you know, relatively flat, flat performance to suddenly bang, I'm doing something a completely different way and I'm blowing everybody else away. I got it. So this idea, what you're talking about with this idea of, of having to stay in there and keep doing it, is that where habits come into play? Because yeah, we've had some great conversation, but I want to get habits into this. You have some good conversation on habits. Is that where habits yeah. come into play? Yeah, so so that's it. I mean, the problem is that, that that stuff you do all the time, right, those, those little tasks to get you a couple of new leads here and there, those are your habits. You know, I got these go-to people that I go to. I got websites I go to. Whatever it is, those are my habits, and I, and and I'm going to do those because they're not effortful. Because because the environment suggests that that's what I'm supposed to do. You know, at some point I learn what my job is about, and I come into work and I just do the things that I think my job is about. Because that's what our habits are telling us to do. That's your brain's way of saying, let's just get to it. Let's spend as little time thinking and as much time doing as we can. And that's great until the moment that you really need to be innovative. And at that point, you got to step back and say, "All right, if I'm really going to do something different, I have to I have to give my habits a rest, and I got to do something uncomfortable, and I have to think about this in a new way, and I have to be willing to tolerate the fact that I'm going to fail at first. Mm -hmm. And what, what you, you know, failure, so here's the thing I tell everybody in companies that I talk to. We need to stop punishing failure. Punish yes, you. amen, can I get a witness there we again, go. a freaking man. So, so we punish negligence. We don't punish failure. You lie down on the job, you're going to get punished. But if you fail because you swung for the fences, now let's take a step back, figure out why did that go wrong. What can I do differently next time to learn from this uh, mistake? Because uh, you know, and 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 those people who are willing to try and fail and try. So so one of the things you know, one of the things that I that I, that I included in in the, in the new book, Smart uh, Smart Change, is uh, there's a there's a poet named Pete Hine who was a Dutch poet. He wrote these little um, he, he wrote these little poems he called Grooks, and he had one that was called The Road to Wisdom, and um, and, and the road to wisdom, he said, the road to wisdom is simple and easy to express, to err and err and err again, but less and less and less. And I love that, right? That's the way that, that the world works, right? It's, you gotta, Let's you gotta, make that a meme, Kiki. Let's make that a meme, Kiki. Hey, I like that a lot. Yeah. I love that, my man. Yeah. All right, so... I'm running out of time, but and there's so much in this book, and I knew I wasn't going to get to it all. I mean, this book is fantastic. Look at Smart Thinking in the back. His poster, everybody you weren't here in the beginning, his poster was hidden, and I saw it, and I said, hey, you should put that so people can see it. And he went to put it on his chair, and it, it wouldn't stay, and he had enough causal knowledge to realize maybe if I take this book and I put it at the base, it won't slip out, right? Well, <laughs> he was completely in it. Yes, it was, it, was his, it was everything in action. It was everything in action. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about, and it can be out of context, because I understand that we don't have much time. But talk, this is something that I feel people should really listen to, because I think we have a theme in this country about the idea of just pull up your bootstraps, just fucking do it, get your shit together, you're weak, you're not strong, you don't have hustle, right? And this idea of willpower, 
Yeah. And what you say in the book, I think, is willpower doesn't work. Can yeah. you talk about what, what that means and, and give a little context around what that means as it relates to getting stuff done? Yeah, so so part of the problem that we have is that, that there's lots of temptations out there in the world when you're trying to work. There's emails that that, that, that pop up and you think, oh, I've got to check my email, I gotta, you know, I gotta I gotta do this, or you know, there, there's all sorts of temptations out there in the world. And the problem is what we say is, oh, we just gotta I gotta just focus and ignore that, right? And the the problem is so here we got the brain again, right? So ready? Ready? All that that behavior is being driven by all those structures deep inside the brain. And then there's a little bit of cortex right above your eyes there that's part of a system that's the, that's the willpower system, what I sometimes call the stop system. Okay, that, That's the only thing that's standing in between you and doing the wrong thing. And if you, just like you don't want to ride the brakes when you're in your car, you don't want to mentally ride the brakes all the time either. You don't want to put yourself in a situation in which you're constantly tempted to do the wrong thing and you have to overcome that. So rather than doing that, one of the fundamental things you want to do in life is, is to get those brain structures. You want to build good habits, right? Because then you get those brains, those old brain structures, that rat brain in there. That rat brain will tell you the right thing to do if you build good habits. And that's one of the reasons that habits are so important because you really want to, you want to do the right thing because it's your habit. Okay. And, and so why does willpower not work? Right? So why does willpower not work? Why, does, why can't I just sit in front of the TV and say, I'm not going to eat that food and I'm not going to smoke? Because, again, I'm going to keep pushing well, you on this a little. Yeah, Society well, says if you don't have willpower, you suck. Yeah, and it turns out that that right, those brain structures. Remember, right? That that old brain, that stuff, that stuff is so old. It's it's optimized. Evolution has made sure that 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 rat brain works really well, and that rat brain loves potato chips because <laughs> because they have salt and fat, at which were which were and 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 energy which were not plentiful in our evolutionary environment, and so and so we go after those. And, the, and, and that stop system, that stop system is part of the evolutionarily new brain, the stuff in our frontal lobes, that's that much less effective, much less optimized, so it doesn't work nearly as well. And so at some point, that rat brain powers through and says, just eat it. And, and so, so if I'm interpreting you correctly, if I'm because I heard this, if I'm interpreting you correctly, what you're saying is the stop gap is only going to hold you back so long so that you can rewire the yeah. rat brain. But if That's you think right. you're going to be able to just never rewire the rat brain and keep the stop in place, like me holding a door, someone pushing on the other side, eventually I'm going to get tired and it's going to come down. That's right. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. So, so, we, we, so, so, so at the end of the day, you want to have good habits, you got to reprogram that, that rat How brain. How do we do that? Well, How do we reprogram? A uh, lot of things you got to do. First of all, get the temptations out of the environment. You don't want to eat potato chips, don't buy them. Okay? Uh, that's, you know, as simple as that. But then, uh, what you want to do is, is habits have a simple formula. Okay? Because habits are memories. Habits are memories that associate the environment you're in with a behavior. So you want to learn a new habit, keep performing uh, a, a particular behavior in that environment. I'll give you a quick example. So here's my slinky again. Took that out earlier. Why do I have a slinky on my desk? Okay. The reason I have a slinky on my desk is because up until graduate school, I used to bite my nails. Okay. 
And I'm going to show you here. There you go. If you if you if you're watching this picture here, I got nails now. Okay. You know, when I wanted to stop biting my nails, first thing I did was pay attention. When am I doing this? When am I biting my nails? Turns out, as a graduate student, I'd bite my nails sitting at my desk reading articles. I'd be reading something, chewing on my nails. So what did I do? I created a new habit. Now when I sit at my desk, I play with desk toys because it's really awkward to bite your nails while you're playing with a slinky. Okay? So I replaced one behavior with another. I didn't say stop it. Okay? I didn't just say to myself, stop biting your nails, stop biting your nails, because by the sixth time I said that, I'd have my fingers in my mouth. So, <laughs> so instead, what did I do? I bought a slinky. And now I have desk toys all over the place, and I'm addicted to desk toys, and I'm fine with that because I have nails. But but I replaced the I reprogrammed that 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 rat brain to to play with the slinky, and and now so you I replaced the bad habit with a, either a neutral habit or a good habit. Right, exactly. Right, and it starts with and I, I just want to reiterate this because when I listen to podcasts, sometimes I can miss it. I want to reiterate it starts with understanding why and when you're doing the bad habit. Yes. So if it's food, if it's food or watching TV or or whatever it is, before you try to fix it, back to the ca causal knowledge, I think, right? Back yeah. to the context of what's happening. Back to the very beginning of this whole thing about asking why. Even solving our own problems starts with asking why and exactly. when do I do this? Why am I biting nails? And what? Is, so why is the action and when is the environment? Right. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Boom. Got it. Nailed oh it. My Gosh, nailed it. No pun intended. Nailed, chewing, nailed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, dude, listen, uh, Art, this has been phenomenal. I could go on. I mean, this has been enlightening. This has been just, it's been tight. Uh, but we have run out of time. So, Kiki, do we have any questions? with anybody who's jumped in? We do not, unfortunately. But I have one thing that I saw on um Another one of Art's podcasts, he was talking about something that you can do today to train yourself to think causally, to find that why, to, to think of that causal reason. And he said, Google, um, what are they called? Pa parables, parables. And get to do five a day, get yeah. to the essence of what that story is and how you, and that is how you can train yourself to think to the yeah. why and apply it elsewhere. Yeah. I love well, it. Talk about that. Talk about that, Art. Well, absolutely. Talk about that. One of the things you want to do is, because uh, you got to be able to use your knowledge, right? So one of the things you do, go to, here's here's something everybody can do. Go to Google or Bing or whatever your favorite search engine is. Type in list of proverbs. Proverbs are beautiful. These really small statements of cultural wisdom, you know, stitch in time saves nine or whatever it is. And, and the thing about, about any proverb is it means something on the surface, like stitch in time saves nine. Well, that's about sewing or something, but it's not really about sewing. It's about, it's about do, being prepared and doing the right thing now so that, you're, so that you don't cause a bigger problem in the future. That's the essence of the proverb. Now, when you're going to solve problems, you want to find the essence of the problem you're solving. That's what Dyson did. Dyson didn't say, how do I get rid of the bag of the vacuum cleaner? He didn't talk about bags. He said, what is the essence of a vacuum? Vacuum takes in a combination of dirt and air, separates the dirt from the air. How can you learn to find essences? Google that list of proverbs, bookmark it. When you find yourself sitting at your desk doing what I love to call fake work, right, where you just, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about. So you find yourself doing that. Go to your list of proverbs, pick five of them at random, and find their essence. 
And the reason you want to do that is because after a while you'll develop a brand new habit and that new habit is to look at everything in the world as if it's kind of like a proverb, meaning that lurking beneath the surface of it is an essence that tells you what that problem is really about. And as you find that essence, you'll find yourself being reminded of other things you know that have that same essence, just like Dyson was reminded of the, of the sawmill when he thought about the vacuum. Freaking awesome. Keith, that was a great question, Keith. That was a great way to end this. Art, right, my man, this was fantastic. I thank you very much. Uh -oh. <laughs> we lost him. I think what he's saying he, is, oh, there you are. Yeah, yeah he's a pro. Sorry, I just said, I said it was awesome. It was awesome. Thank you. Uh, Kiki, is there anything you want to add? Um, well, if you want to buy Art's book, catch his podcast with, I believe, another professor from UT, it's all in the showcase there. So uh, you don't have to say goodbye to Art. He can still linger in your life. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. No, check me well, out. Hit me up. I always love to hear from people. Keenan, thanks yes, so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. I hope you had fun. Yeah, no, this is great. You know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm glad you reached out. This is this is fantastic. Great, great. Well, people, thank you very much, Kiki. If there's nothing else, um, until next time. You ready, Kik? Uh, Are you all ready? All right, people. Until next time. Peace. I'm out. So just cheer to the next episode.